From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Tim Desher, and this is Heritage Explains. A few episodes ago, we talked about how George Soros and others like him were spending tens of millions of dollars to fund the campaigns of so-called rogue prosecutors. They're the ones who usurp the constitutional role of the legislative branch by refusing to prosecute entire categories of crime, abuse the role of the county prosecutor, fail to protect victims of crime, and ignore rising crime rates caused by their radical policies. The district attorney holds tremendous power because, for the most part, they represent the truest reflection of what a local municipality's justice priorities are. Law and order hinges on them. As a reminder, here's Whitney Timas of the Soros-funded Justice and Public Safety PAC explaining their mission. We're looking for challengers who are interested in truly changing their offices once elected. So we're looking for forward-thinking, reform-minded prosecutors. Now, these are folks who are more likely to be focused on creating policy that would result in reducing unnecessary confinement, right? Or prioritizing treatment over incarceration or uh, looking for diversion, opportunities to divert people out of the system or, or seeking lesser charges for, for nonviolent offenses, for example, um, holding police officers accountable. And right in step with Timus, here's Marilyn Mosby. She's the current Baltimore City State's attorney and one of the rogue prosecutors these Soros-type groups support. Our mission as prosecutors is justice over convictions. Justice is not black and white. It may mean a tough sentence in one case. It may mean drug rehabilitation in another case. It may mean diverting somebody out of the system altogether. But this is what progressive prosecution looks like, pushing back against the overcriminalization of poor black and brown people, mass incarceration, and we're doing this in stages, right? If you look up the word progressive, that's in essence what it is. And here's Mosby again attacking U.S. District Attorney Greg Scott after he points out chilling statistics that cities with rogue prosecutors tend to have higher levels of violent crime. You're not from Baltimore, so I, I, I would advise you to please, before you make any mention of what happens in my city, to know what you're talking about. Now, while these statements make for good sound bites and serve as rallying cries for their cause, the results of their policies are not producing the justice they are seeking. In fact, it's hurting the most vulnerable people in our society the same people they claim they're helping the most. In addition, we see a growing distrust in police and blatant attempts to circumvent the enforcement of legitimately passed laws that they disagree with. So this week, we're going to pick up where we left off and dig deeper into the organizations pushing this movement. 
Why do George Soros and others like him want to totally change the justice system? Especially if crimes are on the rise. What do they have to gain from it? What would America look like if they're successful in installing rogue prosecutors all across the country? And what's being done to push back against this? This week, Cully Stimson explains at a deeper level the vast organized effort to reverse engineer and dismantle the criminal justice system as we know it. He's a senior legal fellow in the Mies Center here at the Heritage Foundation and recently released a thorough report documenting how there's nothing progressive about these rogue prosecutors. More after this. It's easy to get overwhelmed by the 24-7 news cycle. If you're looking for a way to keep up with the news that matters, the Daily Signal podcast brings you the top news of the day. Hosts Rachel Del Judas, Kate Trinko, Rob Louie, and myself, Virginia Allen, bring you headlines and interviews with lawmakers, authors, and conservative activists. If you're a conservative who wants to be on top of the news, check out the Daily Signal podcast, available every weekday morning. Kelly, as we continue to uncover this issue of rogue prosecutors, I want to remind people what's at stake here. You wrote in your recent report, and I'm going to link to that, folks, uh, you talk about the movement to replace more traditional independent prosecutors with the rogue prosecutors. Um, you say, quote, the movement, which is well-funded and on the march, has enjoyed some political success. But it also has resulted in more murders, more violent crime, and a blatant and callous disregard for victims and public safety as a whole. Now, before we get into the organization of all this, I want you just to respond to that and what that means currently, where we stand in America. So I think most people um, understand at a basic level the role of the prosecutor. They watch Law and Order. Uh, they watch SVU, they watch crime shows, and they know that the prosecutor is a member of the executive branch, and she or he is charged with enforcing the law as written, using an appropriate amount of discretion on a case-by-case basis, and you prosecute cases on behalf of the state, not behalf on a, of, of a victim, per se. So it's, it's Maryland against Jones or California against Smith. It's not you know, so-and-so against a person. Yeah. Um, and so um, prosecutors exercise a unique role in the legal academy. Uh, they can deprive people of their liberty. And as conservatives and our liberal friends all agree, that's a big deal. So we have to make sure they follow the rules. And one of the rules they traditionally have never followed is play legislator. Hmm. They exercise their discretion to enforce the law as written. They, it, it's not even in the realm of thinking, Tim, that you would decide on whole classes of crimes that the legislature passed in your state and ignore them. So, so just let me stop you there. So you're saying that traditionally speaking, people who are politically liberal, people who are politically conservative, Democrats, Republicans, traditional prosecutors have all agreed that, that they have to operate under that premise – 
So, so these new rogue prosecutors, this is even more different. This is even more uh, of a change. Right. That, there, there, yeah. there, are, there are terrific independent uh, progressive traditional prosecutors. So that's what we mean by independent. Okay. Yeah. These are independent prosecutors who are Democrats, who are Republicans, who are agnostic about the politics, uh, but they enforce the law. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Jackie Lacey. She's the first African-American elected district attorney in Los Angeles. Yeah. She's a Democrat through and through. She runs the biggest DA's office in the country, over 1,000 lawyers. Imagine that. And yet she is really good at enforcing the law, and she was just ousted in this election by a George Soros puppet mm-hmm. named George Gascon, who was the elected DA in San Francisco, ran that city into the ground, and now he's going to be taking office in January no doubt, to do the same thing to L.A. So what was his case against Jackie Lacey? There is no case that rogue prosecutors who are running for office have. Okay. They have money. Yeah. They have cases of money. They have bags and gobs of money. And one of the things that we pointed out in our paper, Tim, is that 95% of DA races are uncontested around the country. Oh. There's 2,300 different DA offices that prosecute felonies around the country. 95% of those races are uncontested. And when they are contested, there's a pittance of money, a little tiny amount of money poured into these races. 10, 15,000, 100,000 is a big number. Big number. So when George Soros swoops in through his PACs, which we detail in the paper, yeah, we'll get into and that. all those cutouts, yep. and drop 50, 100, 200, 300,000, boom. Money is the mother's milk of politics, and that uh, swamps the incumbents. And that's how they get swept into office. So on attack ads, they're saying Jackie Lacey is uh, – what are they claiming about Jackie Lacey? I mean she's – like you said, she's a liberal Democrat. What, but but she's independently minded. What what are they saying in those attack ads and spending all of that money? How are they, how are they spending this? Rogue prosecutor candidates have a tired but very – poll-tested and useful set of talking points. They don't engage on the substance, Tim. They don't talk about their track record. You can't run on your track record if you're George Gascon. You talk in happy talk language like reimagining prosecution, reimagining policing, mass incarceration, uh, over-policing, all of these terms that have... uh, meaning to the liberal academy, and they've dressed up these terms with law review articles, uh, but they don't talk about what they're going to do. And the few that do talk about what they're going to do, they talk about not prosecuting criminals and going after police and setting up so-called police integrity or prosecution integrity units, which, by the way, Tim, there's nothing progressive about the progressive prosecutor movement at all. Mm. The only thing progressive about the rogue prosecutor movement is that they're swapping independent-minded law and order prosecutors with criminal defense lawyers, and they're refusing to prosecute cases, and they're going after the police. But that's the only thing that's new. We talked about the billionaires that are funding this. You mentioned, of course, George Soros. He's the biggest one. And I want to park here for a little bit because it's important to know where we are and where we're going and the people that we're playing against. So George Soros is funding a lot. Are there anybody else that we can point to that we know are on this um, 
um, replacing independently minded uh, progressive prosecutors? So, yes. Uh, okay. Soros started the movement back in 2014. Okay. His first uh, guinea pig uh, election was in Chicago, Kim Fox. Uh, your listeners may remember her and the Jesse Smollett uh, disaster that she created by giving him the sweetheart dirty deal that she gave him. Uh, but he has set up, along with uh, the Tuna Foundation, that's Carrie Tuna, one of the wives of one of the tech billionaires, uh, various PACs, political action uh, committees, uh, that we detail uh, in our paper. Uh, they're all around the country. Yeah. Um, and they've given millions and millions and millions, uh, the Justice and Public Safety PAC, uh, the Illinois Justice and Public Safety PAC, uh, the California Justice and Safety PAC. There's tons of them that we talk about in our paper. Uh, and uh, they are funneling lawfully uh, money into uh, rogue candidates who promise to do their bidding. And that's why we have to be careful about our language. When we talk about, when the left talks about so-called progressive prosecutors, they're not talking about progressive in the sense that you and I do when we're talking about politics and progressives. We're talking about progressive in the meaning of new, fundamentally reverse engineering the role of the prosecutor. That's what they're talking about in the various cities where they've been installed. Yeah. Can you help clear this up for me? Because when I read through this report, it was the question that continued to hit me until you answered it. In the report, I, I can't understand why billionaires who have made a great living here in the United States of America under the current system that we have, they are a, an American success story, as we would say. Many other people on the left who support this have given through. I went through a, a candidate's uh, donation list in, in the county that I'm from in Michigan, and I saw people's names that I knew, multimillionaires that are pillars in the business community, donating to this rogue prosecutor that just won their election. And so my question to you is, why? What do they have to gain from completely destroying this system that has served them so well? I think that there are a lot of well-meaning liberals who've probably been co-opted into giving uh, to these rogue candidates because they don't know really mm. what these candidates are doing uh, once they're elected across the country. And that's one of the reasons, Tim, that we uh, have been rolling out this Rogue Prosecutor blog series because we're going rogue prosecutor by rogue prosecutor from Baltimore to Boston to Chicago to Philadelphia um, Portland, mm. L.A., St. Louis, and we're going to keep going down the list to expose what they're doing. Look, the movement leaders, Soros, Kerry Tuna, and those in the know, know exactly what these rogue prosecutors are going to do when they get elected because they're going to be holding to the movement, and that is four fundamental characteristics of their puppets. One, they usurp the power of the legislature. Two, they refuse to prosecute entire classes of crimes. Three, crime goes up in those cities and that destabilizes the cities, hmm. which allows the people in power, usually liberal Democrat mayors, to accumulate more power. And four, one of the hallmark characteristics, and it's the saddest, is that crime victims are ignored hmm. and the people who are the victims of most of these crimes in the inner city are the very people that the liberals pretend to care the most about, which are underserved, 
and usually African-American or people of color. Mm -hmm. And so when you go through the crime statistics, as we have in our blog series, uh, once these puppets get installed into these DA seats, crime explodes. In Chicago, for example, in our uh, blog on Kim Fox, the newly once again reelected rogue prosecutor in Chicago, there are more combat deaths, more deaths of Americans in Chicago on a yearly basis than at the height of the Iraq or Afghanistan war. Wow. You are more likely to be killed in Chicago at, at uh, the hands of a thug. Over 550-some uh, murders on average per year in Chicago versus 300-some in Iraq and 400 or so in Afghanistan. It's appalling, yet she does nothing about it. And, and when we played the portion of the event that Marilyn Mosby from Baltimore, uh, Rachel Rollins from uh, from Boston, and uh, you know U.S. Attorney Greg Scott were you know they were attacking him for just pointing out that those rates have gone up, that violent crime rates have gone up, saying you're not from my city, you can't speak for my city, but the numbers are what they are. Yeah, so. Uh, one of the more despicable racist, in my opinion, comments that mm. uh, Rachel Rollins, uh, the Boston DA, said to Greg Scott, who was an elected DA in Shasta County, California, who was a law and order guy, a West Point guy, and now he's the U.S. attorney in Sacramento. He was the U.S. attorney back in the Bush administration in Sacramento, too, right. and a good friend. Uh, as he said, I don't have no time for more white men telling me how to treat communities of color because they don't know, unquote. Actually, you know what? Let's let's play that clip right now. And um, I, I want you to continue on this, but, but let's play that clip right now. I think uh, what I find fascinating is people that have actually tried criminal cases in state courts or local uh, jurisdictions know that defendants are witnesses to crimes and victims of crimes as well, figuratively or literally. And when we treat them like trash when they're defendants and wonder why their family members who all know this uh, don't want to come forward or help, these are our potential jurors. And I, you know, find it just, I can't sit here as my mom and raise me and say, I really don't have much, um, time for more white men telling me what communities of color need. Wow, Cully. That's incredible. Well, this is typical of Rachel Rollins. Uh, she stirs the racial pot every time she can. There are numerous other things that she has said after George Floyd was murdered, and I think we can all agree he was murdered. Yeah. She stood on the steps of a state building in Boston along with the police commissioner and other officials and talked about how cops are out there gunning her people down. This is the elected wow. district attorney who obviously, when police commit criminal misconduct, need to go after them like we all have as prosecutors. And Tim, you know, because uh, we're friends, that I've been a prosecutor at the local, state and federal level. I've been a military prosecutor, but I've been a criminal defense attorney too. And I fought like hell as a criminal defense attorney. And I was a criminal and I was a judge for five years. So I've seen <laughs> every aspect every aspect <laughs> of the criminal justice system, except I have not been a defendant and I don't plan to be one. But Greg Scott made a point. He said, and this is what we lay out 
in depth in our paper. And please go to our paper and read it for yourself. And, and again, it's linked uh, in the show notes, folks. Um, that uh, he considers himself a progressive prosecutor. If you use the standard Webster's Dictionary of Progressive, meaning doing things a new way to solve old problems, he points out that, and we point out in detail, that the real independent traditional prosecutors are the progressives because we are the ones that set up drug courts right. decades ago. We set up domestic violence courts. We set up veterans courts. We've set up teen and peer courts. We've set up thousands of alternatives to incarceration. Uh, these rogue prosecutors haven't created anything new, right. nothing and, and at all. And those are the things that help administer greater justice. Those are the ideas that help uh, uh, an overburdened court system yeah. make it make it easier. And let me just say this, but when, now that we're on Boston <laughs> with Rachel Rollins, you said she, she released a list of 15, I believe it was. Yeah, it's called the Rollins Policy Memo. Rollins Policy Memo. And it's it, on her website. Yeah, and you synthesized it, and I'm going to quote this. In Boston, a violent career felon can break into your home, be in possession of large amounts of cocaine, and resist arrest after the police arrive. And all charges will be outright dismissed as long as the reason the thug broke into your house was that he wanted to sleep or was seeking refuge from the cold. Just so your listeners understand how radical this non-prosecution policy is, because this is their thing, yeah. non-prosecution. Sure. You can commit any of these following offenses. These are your freebies in Boston. Yeah. Trespassing, shoplifting, including offenses that are essentially shoplifting but charges larceny, larceny under 250. So 249, you're good to go, baby. Wow. Disorderly conduct, disturbing the peace, receiving stolen property, <laughs> minor driving offenses, including operating with a suspended or revoked license, breaking and entering. Wow. where it's either a vacant property or your house if the purpose is to go to sleep or seek refuge from the cold. Wanton or malicious destruction of property, threats excluding domestic violence, minors in possession of alcohol, drug possession, drug possession with intent to distribute. So you can be carrying gobs of heroin, crack, cocaine. You get busted by the cops you bring it to the DA's office, and they're like, go away. Resisting arrest is a freebie. Or resisting arrest if, you're, if the other charges include one on this list of, of 14 other ones. What is their end game? What is success to them here? This is an issue about power. This is about fundamentally changing the criminal justice system for the worse. We have a system in our country Read the Heritage Guide to the Constitution. It's built on the rule of law, and that rule of law requires the separation of powers. Right. You have a legislative power, which they're not successful in. You have a executive branch power, which includes prosecutors who faithfully execute and enforce the law, and you have a judicial power, which interprets the law. They're making an end run, a mockery of that separation of powers by fundamentally trying to reverse engineer who the gatekeepers are. So instead of the real traditional progressive independent prosecutors, they're, they're installing puppets. Right. Uh, and it's a dangerous movement, but one hopefully that will collapse under its own weight after time. What can be done to push back here? Should state legislators pass 
laws holding these prosecutors accountable. They themselves can be prosecuted or removed from their position if they don't prosecute certain laws. Yeah. Is, is there I, anything like that? I, I think that's a bad idea. Okay. Um, and, and the reason I think it's a bad idea is because the remedy here is exposing them for what they're doing. Um, and unfortunately, uh, even though sunlight's a good infect- disinfectant, um, it's going to take time. And that time is going to result in more deaths, more rapes. Rapes have gone up. Rapes have been going down in this country for a long time, thank God. Rapes go up in these cities. Uh, more women are going to be raped. More places are going to be broken into. More cars are going to be stolen. More bloodshed. More death. More destruction. Uh, and they're fine with that. They don't care about that. That's not what they care about. They want to fundamentally reverse engineer the criminal justice system. Uh, they want to go after cops. You know, they talk about, for example, pol- uh, uh, conviction integrity units as if that was a brilliant progressive idea they came up with. They've been around a long time. Yeah. Pro- conviction integrity units have been around in the big DA offices for a long time. They, they act like that's their new shiny bobble and they just thought of it when in fact that's a lie. They didn't think of anything new except replacing prosecutors with defense lawyers who are beholden to the movement. That's their new idea. Kelly, currently we're in a position right now where at the time of this recording, we don't know who the president of the United States will be in 2021. So what does it look like? What does our justice system look like if Joe Biden is elected president of the United States of America? Well, fortunately, um, most crimes that are committed are committed at the local level. So this is up to the states and the localities to deal with crime. Right. Um, and so whether it's President Trump or then President uh, Biden, uh, that's not going to affect uh, the, the implementation of criminal law and the enforcement of criminal law at the state level. Now, of course, there are 94 U.S. attorneys uh, districts around the country, and I used to be an assistant U.S. attorney, and those – 94 individuals are confirmed by the Senate, um, and they report directly to the attorney general. And uh, I could envision uh, in a Biden administration some number of those 94 U.S. attorneys being of the rogue variety, Mm. of the variety that they're not going to prosecute certain classes of cases. Here's why that's dangerous, all right? And we point this out into our paper. Imagine a different rogue prosecutor movement, a rogue prosecutor movement called the XYZ movement. And that movement has decided that they're going to recruit, fund, and get elected a whole bunch of prosecutors. And these prosecutors are not going to charge anybody with sex crimes or child abuse crimes or no white collar crimes. Every white collar offense is a civil matter and it should never be prosecuted. No environmental prosecutions ever again. Pick your flavor, right? right? It's like going down uh, a cafeteria line and deciding what to pick and what to ignore. And so this movement um, is dangerous no matter which way you look at it. Right. You don't want a prosecutor making up the rules. Mm-hmm. You want the prosecutor to stay in her lane and enforce the rules that the people's representative passed in a fair and just way, uh, regardless of the situation, who the defendant is. And so I'm worried that if this becomes uh, commonplace, right. 
and people think that prosecutors can play uh, God and assume that they're legislators, then we're in an entirely different ball game. And so I hope that regardless of 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 the outcome of the election, if if uh, Vice President Biden becomes President Biden, that he sticks with the Senator Biden that we knew from many decades ago and installs 94 U.S. attorneys who faithfully execute the law and not play super legislators. And thank you so much for listening to Heritage Explains. Like I said, I've linked to Cully's groundbreaking report in the show notes, as well as the blog series that's happening on the Daily Signal. Now, we love likes, we love thumbs ups, positive ratings, and comments alike. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. Thank you for your loyalty, and we'll see you next week. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Descher, with editing by John Pop.